Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 31st. This is recognized as the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, which is marked as this launch of the Protestant Reformation that happened in 1517. So for pretty much as long as there has been a Catholic church, there have been people trying to reform it. And sometimes these reformers have tried to work from within the church. As one example, there's St. Francis of Assisi. He established the Franciscan Order in 1209, And he did this with the approval of Pope Innocent III. At the same time, today, St. Francis is seen as a reformer. And then his later followers also tried to reform not only the Franciscan order that they were part of, but also the Catholic Church as a whole. At other points in history, though, whole parts of the church have split off from one another. A big example would be the Great Schism, also known as the East-West Schism of 1054, and that split the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches totally off from each other. So when it came to Martin Luther, he was part of a long, long line of people who had, in one way or another, criticized the Catholic church and tried to reform it. Like St. Francis, he started out trying to do this from within the church. He wasn't intending to break things off into a totally different religion or into another entity. These 95 theses that were posted at the door of Wittenberg Castle Church were more formally known as Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences. And even though he's popularly imagined as sort of stomping up to the door and defiantly nailing these theses onto it, was probably more like, if he actually did do this, he posted them on the door to notify people of a public discussion that he was going to have on these points and to give them advance reading of the points so that they could discuss it more knowledgeably. A lot more reasonable than it's often portrayed. A big part of these theses, as their name suggests, were about the selling of indulgences. And indulgences were regarded by many, including Martin Luther, as corrupt. This was basically a way to be absolved of your sin, but by paying money instead of through any actual repentance. He was also really focused on the idea that salvation was going to come to people not through their deeds, but through their faith. And he wrote a lot about the idea that the Bible is the sole religious authority within Christianity. Martin Luther's thoughts on this came from extensive religious study that he had been undertaking for years, as well as his time in an Augustinian monastery. But within the Catholic Church, this writing was condemned widely, and in 1521, Martin Luther was excommunicated. And that meant that what had started off for him as this internal reform effort hoping to change the way the Catholic Church was doing things into a schism. So Martin Luther's followers and his followers' followers started breaking away from the Catholic Church and establishing totally new denominations. This was the beginning of the long, tumultuous, and deeply violent Protestant Reformation and Counter-Reformation, basically hundreds of years of extremely bloody and destructive history that spilled way over into people who were not particularly invested in the whole religious question. Then it started morphing into national crises and national disputes that had started out as being more about religion, but grew into being more about power and territory. It's a lot. 
Thanks very much to Tari Harrison for all of her work on this podcast. And you can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for the first public viewing of a very famous work of art. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was October 31st, 1951. The first zebra crossing, the striped pedestrian crossing seen in cities across the world, was installed in Slough, England. Pedestrian accidents and fatalities were on the rise in Britain at the time. There were rows of metal studs on the road that marked pedestrian crossings, which were okay for pedestrians themselves, but were difficult for drivers to recognize. They weren't super visible from far away. By the time a motorist drove over the studs and felt the bumps, it would be too late to prevent an accident. There were also Belisha beacons, or black and white poles with orange globes on top that marked pedestrian crossings on the side of the road. But by the late 1940s, as the number of cars on the road rose rapidly, these safety measures had become less successful at increasing pedestrian awareness and preventing accidents. Drivers and pedestrians were ignoring the crossings. So the government began testing different painted pedestrian crossings that were more visible than previous ones. The Transport Research Laboratory used model roads, then installed the designs in real-world locations starting in 1949. They tested crossings with red and white stripes, as well as blue and yellow stripes. But in the end, black and white stripes tested best in terms of visibility. They were easier to see from far away and allowed drivers to reduce their speed ahead of time. After the first official zebra crossing was installed in Slough, they were installed in many more locations across Britain. They were marked on either side with Belisha beacons. The supposed origin of the term zebra crossing goes back to British MP and later Prime Minister Jim Callaghan, who was reported to have said the crossing looked like a zebra. Callaghan said he didn't remember making that remark, though. Pedestrian deaths declined in the first year, but there were still accidents at zebra crossings in busy areas, and the crossings could back up traffic. So the UK introduced panda crossings, which were basically zebra crossings with traffic signals on the beacon poles. Britain and countries around the world continued to experiment with different crossings that increased safety and visibility over the years. Many pedestrian crossing designs have been named after animals, including pelican crossings, puffin crossings, and toucan crossings. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you haven't gotten your fill of history yet, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCpodcast. Email still works. Send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.